Hello out there world, welcome to episode 14 of the Modern Educator Podcast. This is your host, Corey Brown, and today I'm joined with my good friend and fellow teacher, Peter Cernak. How's it going, Corey? Hey, what's up, buddy? So, uh, yeah, let's uh, start this by going over your past as an educator, and why don't you share with the world uh, your background as a teacher. Okay, so I uh, actually originally started in college as a computer science major. Turns out that I'm not very good at that. Um, and so I decided to go into teaching because another thing that I really enjoyed was uh, social studies. I was a fairly decent social studies student um, and ended up getting a uh, degree from Michigan State University and found my way out to Las Vegas because I didn't want to stay in my parents' uh, basement anymore. Uh, so I moved out of Detroit, came to Las Vegas, and... Um, started teaching in eighth grade. I taught world geography for two years and then eventually moved on to Rancho High School um, just for new opportunities and also uh, for sports related um, things uh, because I wanted to uh, be able to coach cross country and basketball and things of that nature. And so I've been teaching world history for the last three years and I'll be going into my sixth year as a teacher, and this year I have six AP World classes. So I will just be teaching AP World this year, and that makes my life a heck of a lot easier than uh, compared to other years. Wow, Peter! You know, in all of our years of friendship, I didn't know you were also a uh, a or a computer science major in college. I was too. Yes, uh, wow. yeah, no, I was. Actually, my first job uh, right out of high school was as an IT intern, wow. um, but I got sick and tired of sitting there in front of the computer screen and staring at it all day, which uh, is why I went into teaching, but is unfortunate because it looks like we'll be doing a lot of that in the uh, upcoming year. Well, maybe that's what makes me and you sort of pretty optimized to teach in an online yes. environment. Yes. Is, yeah, because I was also a computer science major for my first year of college, and I sort of fell in love with teaching from being a summer camp counselor, mm -hmm. which is an easy kind of jump into the educating world. And I also came to Vegas to... Well, not really escape my mother's basement, but to escape the consistent lack of jobs in California. Right. Yeah. That same thing in Detroit. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I didn't realize we were we were, we had such a similar background there. Um, all right, Peter. So can you share with the world what is your educational philosophy? Um, it's it's changed throughout the uh, throughout the years. So I used to think that I had to be kind of the the star of the show that I was going to be the smartest person in the room and I was going to give incredibly long lectures and kids were just going to be so dazzled and amazed by my stage presence and my lectures that they were just going to learn things and I've learned that that's not really the case um, partially because pe a lot of people don't necessarily learn from incredibly long re lectures and partially because I'm not as funny nor as good at talking as I think I am um, so I've started to be more of a guide on the side where my job is to present the information as is and give kids tools that they need to succeed, but ultimately allow them the freedom to use those tools in order to uh, build their own knowledge and build their own skills as opposed to me um, trying to do it for them. So that's that's been, the, been a big shift in my thinking, and I think uh, it's actually been fairly successful. All right. Awesome, man. That's great. Uh, okay, Peter, so what would you say is your greatest success in the classroom? I would say my greatest success is actually this uh, this past year, um, oh. where I had a, uh, a fair amount of students pass the the AP World exam, um, and the and the reason I consider that um, my greatest success is is simply because none of these students, or maybe a very small amount of these students, really had. Um, uh, developed writing skills that were necessary to pass the AP World exam. I mean, we're talking college-level writing skills, and these are sophomores in high school. So that's a that's a large task. It's a very difficult task for um, uh, sophomores to to accomplish. And many of them did. Many of them were able to write at what at least I would consider to be a a college level, and they had to use you know primary documents. It was not an easy task, and they. Um, overcame that challenge, and I'm uh, very happy about that. And hopefully, I at least had something to do with that. I would, I would hope. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't all luck. Based. Yes, hopefully not all luck. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, and what would you say were some of your greatest learning moments? Uh, of well, yeah. What were your greatest learning moments in the classroom? Did you ever reach one kid in a really powerful way? Yeah. Um, I would actually go back to uh, the days I was in middle school. Now there is a lot of failures at the middle school level. I'm just not cut out to be 
uh, a middle school bless their school hearts. Teacher. Yes, yes. Bless those that's, people who are willing to do that. That's the real battleground. It really is the worst of elementary and the worst of high school combined. <laughs> oh, uh, but no. with, uh, we'll just move on from that. There, everyone knows how bad middle school is. But um, I still have some of the students from my second year uh, of teaching reach out to me and and. Uh, yeah. Um, ask me ask me questions or tell me that they they're being successful because of things that they've learned um, in my class but the reason for me that that was such a great moment is, or the, the whole year was great is because I had such a good relationship with the students in the class um, they, they were very comfortable with having discussions in the class with with me and then with one another so the classroom became less lecture based and much more student-centered where the students were guiding each other and learning from one another and that's where my uh, kind of educational philosophy started to change because I started to see um, the successes that were occurring even when I wasn't the one lecturing in the front of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah and, and creating that environment can be very challenging. Yes. Um, but, yes. But when it happens, high five. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay now what would you say is your greatest failure uh, as a teacher? Um, I don't know if I could pinpoint one specific failure, um, but my uh, my sense of humor doesn't always come through. Oh, uh, that could the, be bad. Yeah, the Midwest sense of humor is a little bit more dry, I believe, than the kind of the West Coast sense of humor. So uh, there's a little bit of a, a, a culture difference, I, I, w- I would say, between my te- what I think is funny and what my students think is funny. And so I've learned when to use humor and when not to use humor because... Um, there are there were a few times, especially in my first few years, where I thought I was saying something absolutely hilarious, and I was getting a whole kick out of it. And there were crickets in the classroom after I told my joke. And that, uh, when you when you don't have a joke that lands, it's uh, it's very hard to kind of come back from that and, and continue teaching. So I've, you know, those those failures, however, have have kind of helped me to realize maybe when to tell a joke or how to tell a joke in a better way or maybe just kind of keep my mouth shut and not tell the joke because it's actually not that funny at all. Well, and and here, I'm going to relate to that for a second because there were some jokes that I said consistently every year in my world history class at Rancho High School that consistently landed. I took those same jokes to Desert Oasis High School, mm-hmm. to the other side mm-hmm. of Las Vegas, and kids in the southern side of Las Vegas just didn't think they were funny. And yes. I was just like, that is so weird. It is sometimes difficult to know the audience. And yes. Sometimes the audience switches even from, from class to class. It just, you know, you got to kind of feel them out a little bit, which has given me a much better appreciation for stand-up comedians. That oh. is significantly more difficult than what I thought it was. Yeah, no, I, I aspire to be a stand-up yes. comedian. Shoot, that'd be fun. Uh, all right, Peter, do you have any unique classroom strategies? Um... I didn't think it was unique, but then I moved out here and started teaching. But I, I never smile uh, in oh, class at, at all um, from day one until, oh well, maybe until like May. If we get to May, uh, you, you know, are a hard, crack. stoic yeah. man. You, yes, you laugh yes. at my jokes all the time. Uh, I do, I do. Uh, <laughs> but in the classroom, I'm a completely different, different person. Wow. Actually, um, some other teachers uh, have pointed that out to me that you know they've come into my class before and. They have seen that I am entirely different, but no, um, actually, my it's it's weird. It's it's almost like okay, I'm gonna give like a very lame reference here, but it's like Yu-Gi-Oh. So remember <laughs> Yugi from Yu-Gi-Oh? He's like the little. Did you ever watch Yu-Gi-Oh? I've never up? actually. Oh seen man, I'm sorry. You're not. Gonna I know it's a card that. game. The yeah. trap card. Did, but do you remember like the kid? He was in Yu-Gi-Oh, and then when he became Yu-Gi-Oh, he had like the deeper voice and he was super oh, serious all oh. the time. Yeah. So like that's what I related to. Like outside the class, I'm like this fun-loving guy. I like to go on hikes. Like to run around. Uh, when I get into class, it's all business. It's all serious. Uh, it's really just getting the kids wow. in the in the class, getting them in the desk, and. Um, getting them working and that has at least worked for me for the last few years so hopefully it continues to work i mean i i'm definitely a slightly different person when i'm teaching i would think it sort of goes back to my training as an actor growing up where i i don't know maybe i act like a teacher while i am a teacher you Mm -hmm. know what i mean yes i got like a louder voice i project a lot more i have a bigger sense of authority but but probably with you, you truly do put on a mask. Yes, it, it truly okay. is. Um, I, I know that my, uh, whenever I've coached athletes, so I've coached basketball and cross country, and I've had students point out, they're like, 
know, the way you coach is a lot different than the way you teach. And I say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm aware of that. And, you know, I just have to huh. fulfill different roles depending on where I am. So Interesting. Okay. Well, that's cool, man. Um, what advice would you give to a new educator entering the profession? The advice I got, um, which I think is the same advice that I would I would give out, is um, you know don't be so worried because you're not going to be the best teacher they've ever had, but you're also not going to be the worst. Um, I was doing my student teaching, and uh, there was a sub teacher next door, and he he said that to me because he could see that I was very nervous before because this was going to be the first day of school um, and the first time I'm really standing in front of the class teaching and so you could sense that I was pretty nervous and he told me that um, and that took a, uh, a took a lot of stress and a lot of pressure off of me uh, simply because I thought that I had to be the best I thought I like have to do this I have to be uh, you know the best teacher like right off the bat and what I've learned is that it takes time I mean teaching is a skill like any other skill it's going to take time I mean a person who just starts playing the piano is not going to be good as good as someone who's been playing the piano for 10 or 15 years and teaching is the same way so the idea that i could i didn't have to be the greatest teacher in the world and that i could just kind of be me and figure things out as i go along was actually a fairly comforting thing and allowed me to kind of relax a little bit and not put so much stress on myself hmm. now that's good and then I'll say that my first year teaching here, especially my first like three to six months, I I didn't go anywhere. I like mm. I went to Rancho High School, I taught world history, I went home and I created top tier curriculum. Mm-hmm. I made all my own presentations, all my own worksheets, all my own everything. And there were times when I found other people's curriculum, I would steal it, kind of modify it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But for one for whatever reason, I had it in my head that I have to create everything. I yes. have to be the expert about everything. I have mm-hmm. to know everything that goes on in my classroom inside and out in case the kid has any questions. Yes. But over my course of my time as an educator, mm-hmm. I recognize that that's just too much responsibility. Yes, it is. It's, yeah. almost, uh, I, I th- it's almost like a pride thing. Uh, yeah. I think especially for me, I feel that, well, all these other teachers have done it and they've made their own stuff, so I have to do it too. And that's, that's not necessarily true. That's not saying that you can just be lazy and copy everyone else's, but... You know, when if there's an opportunity to take a shortcut and still have a good quality lesson, you might as well take it because there's a lot of other things that are on your plate that you also yeah. need to address. Especially for teachers' mental sanity. That's a if, huge issue. If I would say just one more, my second advice would be to, to go out every once in a while. Like don't, <laughs> you don't need to stay in your classroom till 10 o'clock. Like if it's a Friday night, hey, go out and have a little bit of fun. You know? uh, and that, that advice I'm absolutely yes. willing to take. Uh, all right, so Peter, what's the best lesson you've ever done? Um, best lesson, once again, this is from the, the past year. So I tried um, tried something new. Uh, so I uh, am very much, I like to be in control of my class at all times. I like to be the one at the front of the room. I like to be the one who's doing all the talking. I like to pretty much control everything that's going on. Um, and so I had this lesson where I pretty much got rid of all of that, where I said, oh. I'm going to stand to the side. I'm pretty much not going to teach today. I'll help out a little bit, uh, but the kids are going to, going to be the one uh, running the show. Um, and that was my Treaty of Versailles lesson. So um, what we had is we had about three or four days in class where we're looking at the road up to World War One, and we're looking at the causes, and we ended World War One, and we were starting to talk about the effects. Now, I could stand at front of the classroom and say, here's how Japan responded. Here is how England responded. Here is how France... And, you know, I guess kids would get the information, but it would be really boring, and, you know, they... they wouldn't necessarily have like this hands-on uh, approach to it, let's say. So what I did is I put everyone in a circle. I made little teams. So you had your English team, you had your um, uh, United States team and France, and uh, I just kind of lumped other groups together at least a little bit. But you have Japan, Middle East, the Zionists, all of these different groups who wanted um, a lot of change or at least wanted something coming out of World War One. And then I gave every group a little piece of paper in which they were given 
they they were told here's kind of what you want and here's what other countries want and those are going to be in conflict with what you want and you need to figure out how to create a good argument in the, your uh, Paris Peace Conference where you're going to be talking with other countries in order to uh, get what you want out of this uh, this particular conference and written into the Treaty of Versailles and then I pretty much backed away what I did for the rest of the class is let the kids talk to one another and there were some very good arguments um, and mm -hmm. it was it was actually very I wouldn't say it was chaotic. That's not the right word, but I mean, there were certainly students yelling at one another, screaming at one another. They were very, very passionately arguing, especially, especially Germany. Germany was very passionately <laughs> arguing not to be uh, treated that treated the way that they were. Um, we all know what happens as a yeah, result of that. Yes, World War Two. Yeah, um, but no, it was it was just such a good moment for me because it was one of those lessons where. I walked into uh, to class that day having absolutely no idea, and this could have been a big success or a, a complete failure, and it ended up being uh, incredibly successful. Nice. And the students got a lot out of it. When I talked to students after class, and I said, "Okay, do you understand like why Japan wants this and why Britain would want that?" They understood, and but they understood from the perspective of all of the nations, which played a key role into me teaching about how all of this leads to World War II, but then also the anti-imperialist movements that we talked about in later units. Nice. Yeah, I love that simulation stuff, man. Yeah. Maybe I focus too much on creating a game out of it somehow, but, I mean, yours was sort of like a game, because you yes. gave kids objectives, and you said, mm -hmm. this is what you want the peace treaty to say, but... You just sort of relied on them to do all the arguments for you. So. Yes. Uh, no, those, sometimes uh, allowing the kids a, a little bit of freedom, they, they do surprise you sometimes okay. with what they're capable of doing. And that, that always makes me happy as a teacher. Well, I'll say especially in an AP classroom. That is true. Because those kids tend to have like higher sort of engagement too. So Yes. And, and something that also breaks up the typical presentation day yes. is, is something that just excites the kids to no end. Yes. Um, all right, so then my, my last uh, question in my legit interview compilation is, uh, are there any educational concepts that you champion or disagree with? Um, I'm really going to be a champion of direct instruction. Um, mm. Only, not because I think it's necessarily the best, but I believe it's gotten a lot of, uh, a lot of flack. Yeah. Um, you know, this yeah. has been brought up in almost all of my interviews on this podcast. Really? Okay. Yes. And almost everybody agrees with you. Yeah. I agree with you. Good, um, because at least in my uh, my education, as a uh, my teacher education, it was very much there should be no direct instruction. Direct Here, could instruction. you explain direct instruction for people who don't understand it? So for me, direct ins direct instruction is where is kind of your traditional uh, style, where the teacher is standing at the front of the classroom telling stories uh, and kids are taking notes and uh, kids are obviously working on a very individual basis and a lot of people especially up in, in the higher parts of the educational world have uh, said that that's not the best way to teach and they have promoted this idea of like project-based learning where kids are leading everything and the teacher is very much a guide on the side and that has its time and its place but yeah. what I really did not appreciate um, when I was uh, going through the educational system at, at, at uh, Michigan State was the fact that uh, direct instruction almost seemed like evil. Like it yes. was like, it was like, you can't do that. That's the, the, the well, devil's but, but work. But let me something. add this though, Peter, if you're dealing with kids for an hour and a half every day yes. and the bell rings, you say, all right, kids, take out a piece of paper. I'm starting a presentation. And the presentation goes straight through 130 minutes mm -hmm. without stopping yes i think that's a mistake that is a mistake i would yes. agree with you on that but i will also agree with you that at san diego state they said even like like there were some teachers that said don't do any direct instruction at all and it's like kids got to learn the directions and, and that, for an activity and that see and that i i i agree with you and disagree with uh what was being said there i would limit my direct in, instruction to 20 minutes 30 minutes yeah. maybe max just to get the stories out, give some uh, information, and then um, let the students work in groups or do the stations or whatever it is that I have planned for that particular day. So, um, otherwise, and I'm trying to think of other uh, educational uh, uh, concepts and ideas that I promote. Um, a big one is, is, the, is the group work. I do like pairing 
um, a kind of a high flying student with a student who's struggling yep. a little bit. I think that's a great idea. For for you know for whatever reason, and, I, and I'm sure there's there's some reason that I, you know someone could come up with why this is. When a student ex- explains it to another student, the lower level student seems to understand it more than when I explain it to them. It's almost as if I'm talking over the head of the lower level student, and a higher level student just has a better a way to reach that particular student. So kind of relying on those um, higher achieving students in class is a, is a great way for me, at least. Well, and if I was to, I think I've already said this on a previous episode of the podcast, so I apologize for saying this again, but if I was to write a master's degree thesis on what I would really promote to add to the world of education, is I would talk about how when you teach writing skills, which is something we do as mm-hmm. AP teachers, Absolutely. you take a high-flying kid, you take a low-flying kid, and you say, all right, high-flying kids, we're going to write an essay. You are going to be the coach to a lower-performing kid. Mm-hmm. And the rule is, you can't write anything, but I'm going to give you and the lower-performing kid the exact same grade. Mm-hmm. So it, and, and I've seen some pretty good success with this strategy. Yeah, I, I would imagine, especially when you kind of structure it like that, so that way they're yeah. actually um, quite literally coaching them. because. Yep. And I'll be honest, like as a teacher, I've learned a lot about my subject. So it's not that the high flying kid is missing out by teaching. He's, he's he or she is also still engaging in the learning, yeah, the content. And and yeah, the lower performing kids, those are the ones who need, they need to hear other perspectives on how to write. Yes, you know. So that's that's always really important too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I think we've done the standard questions, but now let's jump into current events all right in the world of education <laughs> there's so, a lot <laughs> there's there's a lot to dissect here and uh I'll, I'll just be forward here so peter and i have gone on a lot of hikes during this uh, pandemic here in 2020 around the southern nevada area and usually our hikes are just filled with peter and i talking for hours about the 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 world with education and uh for for anyone who's unaware uh, nevada has officially decided to go all online or at least clark county has and so uh, our school year starts in seven days. And yep. as far as we can tell, it's set to be all online, for, well, for at least the first uh, three months, but and maybe I, the whole dang year. I mean, if I were a, if I were a betting man, I would bet on the, the first semester there. But uh, yeah, it's going to be at least three months. Yeah, so, so the, this is the situation that has dominated both my mind and Peter's mind for the last couple weeks. And we're currently in teacher training modules to teach us how to be effective online educators. So, um, yeah, Peter, why don't we just jump into your thoughts and we'll take concepts as they come up. Okay, um, I guess I'll start with uh, with some of my concerns uh, uh, first here because that will kind of open up this conversation here. Uh, so I do have a big concern over teacher preparedness mm-hmm. um, and making sure that all teachers are prepared to teach online. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different uh, types of knowledge you would have to have to teach online. First off, you have to understand the technology aspect of yep. it. And then you still have to change up your classroom discipline a little bit to ensure that kids are actually paying attention. But you also have to hold them accountable. Um, and you also, I mean, teaching online and teaching over a screen as opposed to teaching in person is entirely different as I'm slowly finding out uh, over the last couple weeks. Um, and I, uh, that is my big concern. I don't know if all teachers are prepared. I mean, I think I'm prepared, but yeah. I, there's still at least a little skepticism in my mind that I you know, maybe am not as prepared as I should be. Well, and I mean, you and I have a brief background in the world of computer science. I mean, I'm I'm just gonna be clear here, Peter. I think I'm a little more tech savvy than you are. I hope you don't take that. Yeah, no, way. I uh, I failed out after the first semester. So okay. yeah, I was uh, I <laughs> found out very quickly that that was not my uh, my passion. That was not my path in life. Yeah, well, and and I've been showing you some yes, tricks to yeah. how to make your online course look more fancy and, mm-hmm. and be more connected to the rest of the internet. Um, but like, I don't know. I feel that my classes are, for the most part, ready to go. Mm-hmm. I, I've got a good plan for day one. I've got a good plan for day two, three, four. I've got the whole first two weeks mapped out. I'm good to go. But just as you said, there are some of my colleagues yes. who've expressed to me, especially some of the older teachers, yes. who aren't really technologically mm-hmm. oriented. And 
I'm just concerned, man. Yes. I'm really concerned that on the first day of school, uh, there's going to be probably both teachers and students fiddling with their webcams, yes. trying to log on. Like, And I know at least my school is having a online student orientation to sort of like help guide kids to, you know, how will the first day of school work? And they're going to do that next Friday. So at least we're giving kids the option to kind of, you know, experiment with mm-hmm. logging into these various websites, making sure their technology is, is ready to go for the first day. But almost everybody I've talked to said the first day is going to be a mess. Yes, and that I, I would agree with that. And I think a, a lot of people that I've, I've talked to in the educational world have worried on, on both ends, both teachers not quite, quite being prepared and students not quite understanding um, exactly how to go uh, online and access what they need to access. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that my school's administration is honestly trying their best. Mm -hmm. Like, I am not, I don't have anything negative to say about their world. And I know that they're receiving new directives all the time from the uh, Clark County School District office and from the state office. And it's, I desperately wish that we could have a plan in place well, because look, this pandemic's been going on for like five months. Yes. I'm yeah. sure somebody had the thought of what if this pandemic goes on all the way into the next school year. Mm-hmm. But I really think they didn't really prepare for it. It, it doesn't seem like it. And my, my, at least my evidence for that is all of these, these rules that are coming out kind of uh, almost ad hoc where, uh, I mean, I, we were in our, uh, not in our training, but we were within, you know, the, the two weeks of training that we've had before school. And halfway through, we were told we can't use Google Classroom anymore, mm. which isn't the worst thing in the world. But, I can switch things over. But, but let me add this, though. Some of our training modules showed us how to do stuff in Google Classroom. Co- correct, <laughs> which is why I, I'm worried about this, because it doesn't seem that we have this big organized plan that how and how we're going to attack it just seems like we're just kind of doing things by the seat of our pants i mean i i i don't you know i i don't want to put a terrible amount of blame no on the school district like you know this is a wild situation it is so many people assumed the pandemic would be solved by the end of the summer mm. sadly they were all wrong yeah, I, w- I was one of those. I thought we would be yeah. going back to school for the last month, but I thought so too. Yeah, but so no, I, I, mean, I can't. Learned. I can't necessarily heap too much blame onto the people in charge, but that is is one of my my gripes and one of my concerns. At <sighs> well, okay, so I, we, we've established that point, but now let's talk about some of the issues within online teaching. So you and I have already had some some long conversations off the air where we've come up with a pretty good plan for how to attack the online learning environment. Yes. And it's functionally a flipped classroom. Absolutely. And we should probably just explain what that means to people who don't know. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and do that. So if, if, you're, if you've been uh, educated in a more traditional way, you, you kind of know that you go to school, you get a bunch of information from the teacher, and then you go home and you do the homework. So for example, in a math class, you would go learn the concept um, from your teacher in school and then when you go home you have a set of 10 15 20 math problems and you do that and bring it to uh, class the next day the issue with that is that you are actually capable of learning the mathematical theory on your own where you would need a teacher is when you're doing your homework because you would want to show your teacher your math problem and say did i do this correctly and so flipped classroom uh, uh, attempts to address that by creating videos um, or, or using some sort of means for the students to learn the uh, mathematical theories or the social studies theories or, wh- or whatever information needs to be learned at home and then to do activities in the actual classroom in which they can receive feedback uh, from their teachers. Yeah, and in a shortened way, it's a traditional classroom is the teacher lectures for an hour and then you go home and you do reading or problems in a worksheet for an hour. Mm-hmm. But a flipped classroom is the teacher will film themselves do the video. Yes. The kids watch the lecture video at home, but then in the classroom, they do the reading in the worksheets and the teacher helps them with the skills to yes. do that. So the flipped classroom, I think, is the only way to effectively do online education. I, I, I would absolutely agree with you. It's already, and as I've said with like some of my uh, educational failures, 
it's already tough enough to lecture to a group of of students when you're when you see them in person let alone trying to lecture to them when they're all like little squares on your screen there um so it's it's much better at least in in, in my opinion for me to just film myself talking and go over main, all the main ideas and then when students quote unquote come into class i put little air quotes there just because they don't actually come to class um when they when they uh log on or whatever to actually do activities that are based on uh, the the video that they watched. Yeah, and I, I, I did some direct instruction during the first part of this pandemic, mm -hmm. and I found out really quickly that to be an effective direct instruction teacher, you need interaction, you need engagement. Absolutely. And it's just difficult to present information like that in mm -hmm. an online setting yes. and expect kids to interact with you. Because there's a lot of like weird social stuff with teenagers yeah. where they don't want to chime in on a Google Meet call and no. they don't want to turn their cameras on. Um, I guess I guess we're forcing kids to turn their cameras yes, on. Yes, that's is, at least the current direction. At least what we've been told. So yes. Yeah, um, I I kind of disagree with that. Like I think a kid should turn the camera on for a second. I should confirm they exist, and then if a kid turns the camera off, yeah. whatever. Um, the only problem is, what if the kid turns the camera off and walks away from the screen? That so, is a problem. Uh, but you could also argue that, I mean, a kid could show up to your class and stare at the ceiling for the entire time and just zone out anyway. So That happens in real life. Yes, it know? does. So, I mean, you know, you can't, you're not going to get every kid, every single student to, to pay, always pay attention, even in a normal situation, which yeah. this certainly isn't. It, it certainly is not. Um, okay, what are, what are some other concerns that we've had with this, this online education? Um, I mean, the, the, the attendance policy still isn't fully worked out. No. And this is going to be an issue that teachers are sure going to talk about. But my understanding is the current attendance policy for Clark County high schoolers and probably middle schoolers and elementary schoolers too is the kid doesn't have to log into your live Google Meet. Rather, the kid could simply attempt one assignment or maybe do one question in one assignment. Mm -hmm. And if they turn that in, if they show they've done any work in the educational sphere, even if it's two minutes, yes. then we mark them as being present for the day. Yeah, and that's um, so we just got that directive not too long ago. Too long ago. So once again, kind of showing that things are just kind of coming out uh, <laughs> as they okay, come out. Yeah, as they come out. Um, but my my main uh, issue with that uh, being the way to take attendance is that now a student has an incentive to not show up to the synchronous online learning session. And I, I think if I were a teenager and you told me that I didn't have to show up to my 8 a.m. class and I yeah. could just do it later, well, I think I would elect to take that option because that's what teenagers well, do. Well, and especially when we're, we're still enforcing the regular high school hours of 7 a.m. to 2 p.m., mm -hmm. I think that is a terrible mistake. Yes. If we're doing an online environment, why don't we just you know, make make them afternoon and night classes? Yes. I don't understand. You know, I, maybe it has to do with like teacher contract and maybe other teachers like, have other jobs, but um, yeah, I mean, sure if, that has something to do. if I get 100% of my students to <laughs> agree to a 3 p.m. class, um, why not? Right? Yeah, I mean, like, I think I that I think the issue is having one hundred percent of your students at a three p.m. class is better than having fifty percent of yeah. them at an well, eight a.m. Fifty percent—that's asking a lot. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I have a buddy who told me that, uh, like they've already started teaching in his part of the country, and he said that at his online class he had two out of forty kids show up. See, and that um, that it's would ridiculous. completely ruin my class because. My idea is to have these little breakout groups where students work in groups of three and four in order Not to enough. <laughs> yeah, in order to help uh, help develop their writing skills. And if I can't talk to a student face to face, I, I mean, or screen to screen or whatever, <laughs> yeah, um, I can't help them with their writing ability. Like, there's not much I can give them feedback on what they wrote, but there is something to me sitting down with them and verbally explaining and verbally showing them um, where they can make some corrections uh, that helps them improve their writing. Well, okay, now I want to deep dive into this topic. So let's talk about student motivation. Mm -hmm. So I'm a huge believer in Pavlovian motivational theory. And in my desk in my classroom, I've got this whole thing of Arizona iced teas and Reese's cups and Takis and hot Cheetos. 
for whatever reason, every kid loves hot Cheetos. They it's, all it's the do. Best. Um, I'm it's not a huge fan. For, I'm not a huge fan either. They I don't. Nuts. I don't eat that stuff. Um, and also Arizona teas. Man, I had I had a boy go from an F to a B for one Arizona iced tea. That is amazing. That they, was the best seventy-five cents I've ever spent in my life. I mean, they're good, but <laughs> I didn't think they were that good. It, it, it works for some kids, man. Yeah. They really will. If if you have a treat in there, they'll be like, "Oh, here's all that missing work, Mister Brown," and you're just good to go. Yeah. Um, but so I'm a believer in Pavlovian theory, and also I think another great motivation for kids in a traditional school mm-hmm. is when they're involved with an activity or a sport. Yes. And you know, I made very sure to do this with Desiree's High School. I sought out the acting teacher. I sought out a lot of the coaches, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Hey." Uh, I have a couple of your students in my class, and I, you know this kid's super excited about baseball. It's this kid's favorite thing in the world. Um, so, you know, is it cool if uh, I motivate th- this student in question to do their homework? And could I reference you and say, you know, if they don't do their homework, they're not starting uh, as you know they're not starting on the field for baseball mm-hmm. this afternoon. And a hundred percent of the time, I get confirmation from the coach or the club director. Yes. But, as we know, it's going to be impossible to give kids treats for doing your assignments. Correct. And kids aren't doing these sports or activities. Nope. So, so, Peter, what are your thoughts? How are we going to get kids to actually perform on our assessments and to succeed on our tests? So, it's, I mean, it's, diff- it's obviously going to be incredibly difficult. And, I, I mean, I kind of use the same motivational tactics that you do. Um, not necessarily with food, but uh, sticks and carrots. Uh, oh, you know, uh, uh, not literally sticks and <laughs> carrots. Kids um, would eat but, sticks. Um, uh, yeah, they, they would. At that age, they you kind of just eat anything. Oh um, my gosh! But Some kids come to mind. Yes, being a, being a coach is really nice, especially when you can look at a kid and say, "I know your coach personally, and I know that you know that I know him." And they're like, "Yep, okay, I'll start get to work." So that's very much the stick there. But my my major carrot that I use is is a lot of verbal feedback. When I have a student, especially if I have a student give a great answer, what I do is I take that answer and I repeat it to the rest of the class. So that way, one, the rest of the class hears it because some students speak really quietly. Um, But secondly, it also lets the kid know that at least Mr. Cernak feels that my idea was good enough to repeat. And sometimes I like polish it up just a little bit so it sounds even better. And then I tell the kid that was a great, you know, that was a great answer. That was a great insight. Oh, yeah. um, I do that stuff. And, and it's, I think we're just going to have to rely on that even more. Um, and hopefully, hopefully the idea, at least the theory behind it here, is that kids will feel that they are like validated or feel that they are welcomed within the online community, which is as scary for them as it is for us. And they'll uh, want to come back to class or at least want to log in because they feel that their opinions and their, you know, their opinions matter and that they seem to show intelligence and, you know, get rewarded for showing that intelligence or showing the, the hard work that they've completed. Well, and, and, I guess another thing we can use to motivate the kids is you and I are both now primarily AP teachers mm-hmm. and we can like I'm going to like remind them every day. It's like this class is preparing you for the AP test. Yes. You pass that test, you get college credit. Mm-hmm. What else are you doing right now, kid? Yeah. Like there's there's no sports to go to. No. There's no activities to there go to. Really is uh, we can't go on vacation anywhere. No. Um so you've got this time Mm-hmm. Do something productive with it. Yes, I hope that will work. I hope so too, and that's that would be more of the maybe the stick in this yeah. situation where you can somewhat hold that over over their head. It's a little bit of a carrot as uh, well. Hey, I think college, college credit. credits a carrot, but usually yeah. kids don't think that far ahead. Yeah, they usually don't. You know, that's the problem. But uh, I, what I would at least like to point out, so that way, uh, you know, just so that way we, we are talking about teachers that aren't a necessarily AP teachers, is that's really great that we can hold that mm-hmm. over their head. But if you are not an AP teacher, there's only so much you can hold over the kid's head. Well, and, and I feel really bad for elective teachers mm-hmm. because a lot of kids are smart enough to know that yes, they need to pass English, math, science, social studies. Yes. But do you need to pass band to graduate high school? Do you need to pass PE? Yeah. And the friend I mentioned earlier who had two kids show up to his class, he's a PE teacher. See, yeah. And that's... what online PE? 
Like, yes. What, I mean, I, I think he has prepared some lessons and done little, like, workout exercises you can do in your house and stuff. But when kids realize that the class won't be or they won't be accountable to the class yes what encourages them to even attend yes and that's that i do not envy the the electives i don't especially either. right now sometimes the electives are nice because you kind of get a little more freedom uh to do what you want uh and teach in the yeah maybe like art can do some cool stuff yeah you know and my, my roommate he's a, a music teacher at high school at a high school nearby and he's He's shown me a lot of really cool websites where kids can actually interact with musical stuff. So that's that's cool. good. So at least they're they're hope, hopefully they're uh, the elected teachers are getting creative, I guess, yes. with with their lessons. They got to be way more creative than us. Yes, yeah, because we can still kind of keep our basic structure that we have and just transfer it online. But I feel that many elective teachers have to completely rearrange, which is incredibly difficult to do. And and actually, weirdly enough, Peter, I'm I'm gonna just raise us up here i think that teaching history online is probably the easiest subject to transfer to an online environment yeah yeah i would agree with that english is so much with skills like you have to deep dive into reading and grammar structure and all this stuff and like i've taught kids how to read before and it's a very personal one-on-one kind of thing to do teach reading skills that are high level reading skills in a group setting some kids will get it, some kids won't, some kids will waste their time, some kids really need it. It's it's impossible to create a one-size-fits-all narrative. Mm-hmm. You have to get into kids' business. Um, yeah, so... Oh, yes. Oh. It, uh, I will say, like, it is it is tough being in this situation, but it could be significantly more difficult. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of glad that I'm a history teacher and all I really need to do is talk into the camera. Yeah. Well, and, and we're going to have skill lessons and yeah, live obviously. sessions. Um, and I'm also going to have this thing where I'll have office hours where I'm going to require kids to log in to work mm-hmm. on me one-on-one with their individual writing concerns. Um, but uh, I, I do know I have a lot of teacher friends, probably some that listen to this podcast. So why don't we now explain sort of our, our general strategy for how we're presenting AP history material in an online setting? Oh, I am actually I actually like uh, like the way that we we do it, and this is something that I never would have uh, would have discovered if it weren't for all of the things that are going on now. But we're actually using this this website um, in which you uh, in which I can record my myself lecturing, or I can even pull a video from from YouTube or some sort of source of information. And what I can do is I can input questions within the middle of the video. So if a kid is uh, is watching the video. Uh, the video will stop, let's say, 10 or 15 minutes in, and there will be a question, and that allows uh, the student to uh, kind of test their knowledge to make sure that they're learning, but then I see uh, the answer on my end as well, so I can see if the student understood the information, or maybe where they didn't understand the information and what I would need to address in the synchronous learning. Well, yeah, and, and it's about holding kids accountable, because yes. you could say, hey, kids, watch these videos, and you'll have originally you would have no way of knowing if they watched them or not yes but now with this website edpuzzle you know the ding for edpuzzle right there really great company uh edpuzzle is it allows you to embed questions into the videos so it will force kids to watch the videos and to show they learned something Mm -hmm. um and yeah even after the pandemic i'm going to keep using this website i I think so too great and actually that is a subject i I want to talk about at some point what we're going to do post pandemic but before we we get to we get to that i do want to say that i was doing one of these teacher trainings um years ago and i heard this quote that was uh, was important Uh, it was about the flipped classroom kind of what we're doing with edpuzzle and in the uh, the woman who was speaking said being able to push the pause button is such an important part in individualizing education and i had never thought about that yeah. in my classroom students cannot pause me if if they didn't get something well train's still rolling we we're all going along with it but via the lecture a student can pause student can say well wait a second i don't understand this let me go back and one that allows the student to relearn the information uh, that they need to, um, but it also gives them, um, I guess, a way of thinking about their own learning, where they're they are constantly challenging what they know and what they don't know, which is a good uh, skill that they need to develop for um, in high school, so that they, that way they can be successful adults. Yeah, yeah, kids, kids 
I, I do recall plenty of times where I'm in the middle of direct instruction lecture man mode and I'm ready to click the next slide and there's usually like that one female student in the front row yep Mr. Brown wait <laughs> I've almost written on my yes, notes yes yes so get so a lot that, of that kid would have loved to have a little bit of extra time right? absolutely yeah I can't and now they can yes they can pause the video yes. whenever they want go so ahead I am interested to see how, how that will work for yeah. students yeah um, well and I want your thoughts on this so a lot of teachers at my school have expressed serious concerns about test security and mm -hmm. test authenticity in an online environment. So first of all, it's like, who's to stop them if they don't give their older brother five bucks to do the test for them? Yes. You know, and my logic with all this stuff, man, is there's nothing we can do. Um, that has been my approach as well. As yeah. I will, so what I've done to attempt to prevent cheating is... Um, I have put my test on, onto Canvas, and then I have made it so that way it's it's time limited. Um, so you have a very limited amount of time. So if you're going to cheat, you're going to have to cheat incredibly effectively. And I've also put questions in there that are more uh, reading comprehension or th kind of thinking skills as opposed to factually based questions. So that way, I mean, you, you could look up any information about the Ottomans online, but it's not going to help you answer the question, um, which still, I mean, does not, it doesn't prevent cheating, but it certainly at least tries to minimize it as, as much as we can. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a, a concern that I've, uh, I've, I've had and I, I've shared with people and haven't really received anything that, I can truly use in order to truly pre uh, prevent. Um, no, I think I think you just sort of got to accept yeah. it in an online environment. And, and I, I realize that there are um, programs out there. I think like Go Guardians, one of them, or something, or uh, uh, where you know you can see what the kids looking at on their screen. But those that's things like spying. Man. Yeah, that's a little bit spying. Um, and then also, I'm sure that all that stuff costs money. And I mean, I can't. I tried to log in to Go Guardian, but it wouldn't accept my credentials. Oh, I'm really? sure they were correct. Yeah. So I was really no. sketched out about that yeah, website. That's... And and yeah, like I'm what what do I wanna while I give a kids kids a test, do I wanna log in, see forty little humans just staring at their screens for an yeah, hour or something? Yeah, that's... that's that's not a good use of my time either. I, I've I had to do that uh, because my master's program was online and so oh. for one of the uh, many of our uh, uh, of our uh, summative assessments were essays, so that was that was fine. Um, but I, I think I had one that was a multiple choice question where I had to set up a webcam and um, I logged in, and then a woman was on the screen and told me when to start the test and watched me on her screen the entire time to make wow. sure I didn't cheat. And it's it's very off putting. But you probably it, still could have cheated in some way. I you could have put the answers in some weird part of your room. Or yeah, put them on your sheet like there. Like, there are ways, man. Yes. And there's, uh, uh, short of physically being in the room with a person, mm -hmm. and, like, I think at, like, SAT stuff, they, like, pat kids down and, like, yeah. check their bags and stuff. Yes. So, uh, yeah, they, they go all out with those test security, and we can't do any of that in an online environment. All, you just can't. All I can do is motivate the students to say and say, and say look... Sure, you can get a good grade in this class, but that's not really why you're taking AP. Yeah, you're World. taking it for the AP. But but what if it's not the AP kids? Yeah, and yeah, that's, and that's <laughs> those, yes, they're just gonna cheat their way through everything. Yeah, and exactly, that's, that's really terrible. So yes, um, yeah, I'll I'll maybe come up with some clever ways of of being anti-cheating, but it's it's. Uh, a concern yes um but but truly the bigger concern is will kids be motivated enough to even log in yeah that's actually that's the, the concern, concern number one is I, I want them to take the test and to actually yeah. log in um well and and, and and i want to go on a little rant on this so one of my favorite parts about being a teacher is creating these effective mentoring kind of relationships with my students you know i i really like to build those relationships i like to to be sort of their their older brother or something like that to these kids. And, mm -hmm. and I want them to come with me when they have issues and concerns, both in the classroom and in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. Like, I care about this stuff. It's a big part of why I like being an educator. And I'm afraid that in an online environment, creating that relationship is just going to be close to impossible. It, I, I, I would agree with you. It's, it's just I'm going to try so my best. Difficult. Yes. Uh, no doubt, but... 
unsure on day one there's going to be some kids who will you know show me their face on the webcam they'll turn the webcam off mm -hmm. they'll let me do my thing and then they'll log out at the first minute and you know um i have learned more and more that that re cultivating that relationship is probably more important um than actually knowing the material i mean yeah. you obviously have to know the material but you can be an incredibly intelligent individual, know your material well, but if that student doesn't have a good relationship or doesn't have respect for you, they're not going to learn. And um, that that part is incredibly difficult to do online, and, and it, it should not uh, be downplayed in importance because I, I really do believe that, that building that relationship is the most effective way to teach someone. Yeah, yeah, they'll be comfortable with you and they'll yes. want to learn stuff. And Make all the magic happen. Yeah. And and I've had a lot of former students now uh, reach out to me and like ask me for life advice and yes. college advice and how does the stock market work, mm -hmm. you know. And I'm, I'm always happy to, yeah. to help out my former students. It's something I really take a lot of pride in. Um, all right. Wow, Peter. I know we've had a lot of personal conversations about mm -hmm. our concerns with online, but maybe we've already addressed most, most of the upcoming scariness. Yeah. Um, but what? how do you think now that this online universe will affect education even after the, the virus finally recedes? Well, I think it'll be really interesting to look at the data, um, uh, yes. especially, especially yes. with any sort of test scores and to see how effective online learning was versus, versus uh, traditional. I'm going to predict it right now. I think that'll be a slump. I, I would I would agree with that. That would yes. be my hypothesis as well. But I don't think that means that we need to immediately scrap all sort of online learning. Um, I, I, I think there are useful elements here. I mean, looking at Edpuzzle and looking at the, the ability to get, um, have students watch those, those videos um, outside of class, I think even you might have more teachers start to buy into the flip classroom idea which yeah, I, I i'm do gonna do it i'm I, gonna do it forever yes i'm I, telling you that right now i really think it's a it's a good idea um but also i, th I think there will be many more resources for students outside of the classroom um to enrich what they've already learned yeah um, which will, will, is obviously going to be great for them because now they can find whatever they whatever you know you or i presented to them in class that they found interesting they can take that and run with it and go do something else um and and learn much more about it much more than we ever could address in class because we're constrained by time well and and i'm the lead ap human geography teacher in las vegas and every year i've been doing this job for the last three years uh the district pays me to run three live classes obviously we didn't do it this year because of the mm -hmm. pandemic but in previous years they set me up at three high schools around the district on three different saturdays and i hosted these review sessions right before the test started and in my review sessions i would go over some writing skills i would play some fun games activities to mm -hmm. review content and for the most part you know kids loved it it was great and i had maybe 60 kids at each session so a total of 180 kids and these kids are driving around the valley, all that mm. stuff. But then during the pandemic this year, right before the AP test, they said, hey, Corey, will you do that same thing, but do it in an online way? Mm. And I was like, yeah, I think I could make that happen. Yeah. So uh, I called up my friend, Danielle. I should get her on the podcast, by the way. She's uh, an excellent teacher. Um, and uh, uh, me and Danielle worked together, and we built an online curriculum, and we talked through the skills. We did some online games, and... I mean, it wasn't as good as the in-person thing, I'm right. going to be honest. However, though, session one, 250 kids attended. Wow. Session yes. two, 320 kids attended. Good. So in the live sessions, we reached a total of 180 kids. In the online session, we reached 600 kids. Yes. And I, I told the district people, I was like, for the rest of time, yes. let's do the online yes. sessions. And we could do the live sessions, too. Yes. Because um, some kids, like, like look, the, the, the simulations, the activities I had, the live sessions, they, they couldn't be done in an online environment. Right. But I did create some other things in the online environment that just were able to reach the masses. Yes. Um, and another thing, I, I mean, me and Danielle very easily could have recorded our lesson, put it on CCSD's website, and just mm. said, hey, all kids, watch it, your vibe. Um, I mean, we didn't record it because, like, FERPA laws, uh, but... Uh, I think I think maybe in the future CCSD will be cool with that. They'll be like, "Yeah, Corey, yep. make a video for kids on how to pass the AP test 
Yes. And, you know, we'll just share it with, with all the kids and all the teachers. You know, I find this interesting because um, what have I've at least seen on a lot of social media is this discussion of equity um, when it comes to uh, teaching online, as in saying that students who are, tend to be in low-income neighborhoods don't have uh, the same opportunities as though it, in, in um, higher-income neighborhoods. And obviously that's true, and we've many people have stated that um, by going online, this is only going to widen that gap. But listening to you talk about it, yeah, it I think might, it's actually the opposite. It might narrow it because, because yeah, well, yeah, what's yeah, and, and, and you're probably about to say this, but what's more understanding? The poor kid in North Vegas mm -hmm. who maybe their family has one car, maybe mom yep. works on the weekends, and it's like, oh, I heard about this live AP review session at a high school eight miles away. Mm -hmm. I don't have money for a bus ticket. I can't get there. Yeah. I can't go. But now, Mr. Brown does that same session online. Correct. The kid just logs in. Yes. So I think it increases equity. I think there there really is a chance, and I I really had not thought about it in in, in that way until until you brought it up. So yeah. I think that's an important discussion for not just us, but for all, everyone to to have about this. Well, and I hope that as a result of this pandemic, we realize the importance of the internet, the importance of digital accessibility, yes. and we just make it a public utility. We make it the same way as electricity and mm -hmm. water. We dissolve Cox Communications and AT&T and all those people, and we just create a public monopoly where every part of the country is more or less mandated to give people high quality internet access as a part of public services yeah and i i think i would would agree with that because it's you know i have wi-fi at my house but it's it's certainly not cheap and if you're a, a family that's you know counting pennies and, and you're trying to do whatever it is to uh, make ends meet you know, wi-fi might be a some something that you cut out um and so if you could have either free Wi-Fi or very, very cheap Wi-Fi, then you would have the, or at least arguably, similar opportunities to students who are in wealthier areas. Yeah. And, and also, I think online teaching can be great for kids who live in very rural areas. Yes. Assuming you've got that internet connectivity, you can now go to any high school you want. Um, but, as, as we said before, history can be taught in an online environment without too many challenges. Correct. Science teachers gotta do science experiments. Yes. Uh, theater teachers, kids have to act with each other. Uh, vocal coaches, you need to have a choir in there to, to harmonize with. So the online environment cannot work for everyone. No, it, it can't. And some kids, maybe this is what they'll find out in the data when this pandemic is over. Some kids will do better in the online environment. I, I think, think so. it will be a very tiny minority. Yes. I think the vast majority of kids really want the, the socializing and they want mm -hmm. the personal aspect and they want to get out of the house. Yes. You know, they want to get away from mom and dad yeah, for, absolutely. for a bit. And I, I got a feeling there's a whole lot of teenagers who are just so bored. Yes. Uh, <laughs> talking to some of my cross-country girls, they are just moving things around in their bedroom because <laughs> they are just bored. They're like, I don't know, I moved my bookshelf over here because I had nothing better to do. Man. And, and I wonder what this has to, like, how will this affect student-athletes, too? Like, because, I mean, you're, you probably have some input into this. Well, I mean, I, and they're, they're at least trying to still have a uh, sports season. They're just pushing it all back to the spring semester. But that's going to make it very difficult for athletes to uh, get in shape and prepare for all their sports, which doesn't, you know, to, you know, to a lay person, doesn't really seem like that big of a deal. Like, you know, kid can't play a sport. But... Uh, many students go to college on athletic scholarships, and those athletic scholarships are based on what they do on the field. I mean, so you want kids to have, or especially student athletes, to have as many opportunities as possible to show off to college recruits. And now those um, those opportunities are going to be fewer, um, which is going to be problematic. Um, so I don't know exactly how that's going. I mean, I know college that recruits will understand. Yes, I, I hope so. You know, I hope they hope they understand that and take that into consideration. Maybe they'll like double all their scores for next season. Mm -hmm. or who knows? But yeah, and I wonder too what this what this whole pandemic is going to have as an effect on colleges. Yes, because I have talked to some of my students who recently graduated from Rancho High School, mm -hmm. and they are either dropping out of college. Or just going to UNLV or CSM. They're going to like the local colleges and not yes. 
going out of their way anymore because this pandemic and and maybe people who see, like for example harvard university is still charging the same fees for their online version as if it was their regular in-person version and i think there's something dishonest i that. i really do think there's something dishonest there i i don't think that's that's fair to to students because they're not getting the same i would argue the same quality of education yeah. Um, my, my little brother actually just graduated high school and is, is going to be uh, attending the University of Michigan in the fall. He'll be literally in Ann Arbor, but all of his classes will be remote. And he's a physics major, so that makes it it's really to difficult experiments. to do. Yeah, it makes it very difficult to do those experiments if you can't go to the lab. Well, and, and I think I, you just said something that I want you to try to expand on. Is it possible... Or I'm going to rephrase it like this. Is online education inferior to in-person education? Can we make that blanket statement? I would still say yes. Obviously, you would say yes. there okay. are pros to online learning. Like the pause button. That the pause button, yeah. About. yeah. Um, even, even Ed Puzzle is great as well. But I, I still believe that the lack of relationship building is just yes uh, such a, a con uh, it's such a hit against uh, online learning and and that i that that for me is the biggest reason why i swing into the favor of um getting getting kids you know, or having that face-to-face -face learning i think that's the superior there's, there's well i think online learning can do a great job supplementing in-class yes. learning it can support in-class learning mm -hmm. but you you without that relationship building with the younger kids like look me as an adult i can do an online class you've done you've got a master's degree from yes. online classes like we we get it mm -hmm. we've been trained how to learn we've been trained Correct. to be responsible we're paying for college well yeah yeah when so, you pay for it yeah, yeah you hold yourself you, accountable you're gonna hold yourself accountable but our our current state where we're expecting teenagers to be accountable without me having a relationship with the kid I'm really afraid the kid's just not gonna bother. Yes, and that's that's my fear as well. And I, I, I hope we don't learn the wrong things from this. I hope yeah. that we do learn that yes, online learning has its benefits, but it can't be all encompassing. We it cannot be a replacement for what is already put into place. Well, and and I'm I'm a little wondering if, let's say we magically cure the coronavirus tomorrow. It obviously won't happen, but yes. go with me on this. We magically cure the coronavirus tomorrow. Could CCSD say, look, we can save a lot of money by having one teacher teach AP World online and give them 600 students? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that would be the wrong lesson to learn from this. I, I, yes. I 100% agree with you. But, I mean, could a teacher handle triple the student load and only be expected to run in an online setting? I, I honestly think so. I mean, technically speaking, I think yes. I could do it. Yes. But I don't think it would be a really quality way to reach all the kids. No. I think I think the biggest thing that online learning is going to lack is a teacher being able to like dissect why a kid isn't doing their work. Correct. You know? Yes. Because in a traditional classroom environment. I mean, I'm just going to be real. I would always give more attention to the kids who are failing. Yes. you got to do that. You have to. And the kids who aren't getting the skills and the kids who aren't vibing with you, you have to give them extra attention. Correct. And I can usually tell why the kid isn't vibing with my class. Mm -hmm. Maybe the kid has some behavior problems. Maybe the kid's having some problems at home, and that's one we've really got to deep dive into. Right. Um, maybe the kid's not understanding the, the content. Like, I can sort of be a detective and figure out from interacting with a kid why the kid isn't succeeding in my classroom mm. how can we do that in an online space i i mean i really just i don't think we can um without i mean maybe you could you could talk to the kid one-on-one -on -one, but you would really have to be able to see that through the screen somehow that there are problems and that's just i don't see that being possible because i when students walk into my class when they physically walk into my class before all this i can tell if they're in a good mood or a bad mood i mean they just by the end kind of the energy they give off and so i can at least address that problem 
that's not going to be true in online learning because one, they can turn their camera off, but two, even if they have their camera on, I can't necessarily tell what their mood is or how they are, are feeling that particular day. And that's, that's a difficult thing for, for teachers to address then. Yeah, well, and then the issue too, if what if a kid is having problems at home? What if mom and dad aren't treating the kid right? Right. Because you know, I've called CPS before mm -hmm. on uh, kids who are in challenging situations. And my understanding is like during this pandemic, uh, domestic violence is up and suicide is I, up. And yes, some, some serious insane. numbers that we as teachers should be aware of. Yes. And if we were in traditional classroom spaces, we could assist these kids. But yes. I think... I don't think the kids will trust us. No, uh, when I, we're online. I, I will say I, I, I mean I can't see myself building trust with someone that I'm only seeing through a screen. It's yeah. there is something about physically being there that uh, helps me build trust with with someone, um, and that that is a very unfortunate part of, of of all of this. And I think something that maybe hasn't been given the uh, uh, appropriate attention because many people are focused on kind of the educational aspect is my kid going to actually learn something but not so much the emotional aspect of going to school and having an adult that's in your corner well and and i recall that my school has done a training already about uh i think it's like every wednesday after school they want to have this sort of like wellness period mm -hmm. where they assign students to me and i just do my best to get to know the students to vibe with the students to hopefully create a a safe space where they can talk about stuff with me but and look, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that directive. Yep. I'm gonna try my best. Yes. But Peter, I am predicting it will be a big challenge. Yes. It will be a challenge to like it would be one thing if it was kids I already knew. Correct. If it was kids who I had last year, and maybe they well, I mean with freshmen they can't do it. So yes. um but if they, if those were kids who already had rapport with me, it would be great. Correct. But I I don't know how to how to create a friend in an online setting no no if you if you find out let me let me know because yeah. I, will, I will use the same tactics but yeah if i were teaching all the students i had last year at sure this this yeah. would be um this I, I don't think this would be a problem that i would be worried about but the fact that there are so many new students and i know zero of them and it's going to be really hard for me to it's almost going to be impossible for me to build a relationship is something that i'm, I'm a bit concerned about yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. These are these are problems, but yes. well, we gotta we gotta try our best. Yes, and that's yeah, that's kind of what it comes out down to. As I I really, I honestly think that every teacher is out there trying their best. Um, that looks different for each teacher. I mean, I'll, I'll, obviously, everyone's best is is different, but I, I think everyone's heart is in it. They, they want to see this year work um, given all of these challenges. Um, and hopefully we, we you know, find out a lot more information on the first day of school or maybe even after the first couple of I would of weeks. hope we get information before the I first would day hope of so. school. I would hope so, but, <laughs> but maybe you know, go ahead and jump in and have some trial and error, and then within the first few weeks we figure out what works, what doesn't, and how to address a lot of these challenges that we brought up. Yeah. All right. Well, Peter, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's uh, nice to be able to express my ideas and opinions every once in a while. Yeah, I know. Like we've, we've been hiking so much this yes. summer and we, we, I think we've rehashed quite a bit of what we've, we've talked about in mm -hmm. nature. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool to put this out there for, for the world to listen to and maybe other people can participate in the conversation. I hope so. Um, yeah. And if anybody has any questions, comments, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, Send me an email at vegasmoderneducator at gmail.com. Thank you very much.